We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. I just adopted a new best friend, and I'm looking for a Toyota so we can make the most out of summer. With a new RAV4, you can take your pup for a drive up the coast. You can take a Prius to the park. Or you can take a Tundra to kayak at a remote lake. One problem, Jan. Oh? My new best friend's a cat. Your summer starts here, but it all ends June 3rd. Toyota, let's go places. Dealer inventory may vary, so your participating Toyota dealer for details. Visit your Front Range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. Davidson's has two locations, one in Centennial, one in Highlands Ranch. They're locally owned, and they have a massive selection. You can carry out our favorite Breck brews, uh, whatever else you might want. They've got a great staff over there that'll walk you through anything. If you say, man, you know, I really love this type of whiskey, but I'm looking for maybe a a higher quality or, uh, you know, a level up, or maybe I really like this whiskey, but it's too expensive for me. Do you have something that's similar that's a level down? They will help you out uh, and really walk you through all of your options. Great staff over there. And they are back open if you want to go in. But they also still have pickup and delivery available. So make sure you head over to Davidson's and uh, let us show us your haul and uh, tag us on Twitter. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands Drinking the curves from mile high The best part of the week in a perfect stranger as they become a friend having a good time when the orange and blue W-I-N tuning in every day with the good folks down at DNVR Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online great stuff over at MSU Denver they can get you in and out with ever, whatever classes you're trying to achieve, maybe you just want to, you know, help with one, one aspect of your education that you think you could have done better on, or maybe you want to go and finish off that degree. MSU Denver has a ton of different programs to help you reach those goals. So msudenver.edu slash online is the place to go. My boys! And today it's my boys. Let's go! How I'm never I- ready for that exuberance, by the way. <laughs> It wakes just, me up. I just stop what I'm doing and I just look at Zach, so I'm completely ready for it every time. <laughs> Waiting for him to bring us in. Um, that Also, that's like my favorite thing that's come out of this podcast in the last <laughs> three months. So oh, I, I love it. Just just jumps the, jumps the pot off. The backstory behind it is just so incredible. <laughs> <laughs> 
And now, um, now it is uh, every single day, just like she thought. So I want to talk to you guys uh, about a conversation that we had on DNVR Bets Daily. And, uh, and this was yesterday. And if you haven't already, make sure you go over uh, on iTunes, subscribe to DNVR Bets Daily if you have any interest whatsoever uh, in getting in on the betting scene in Colorado. Or, <clears throat> honestly, if you just want to hear our, uh, some of our discussions, because most of our discussions so far have been about the Broncos. So if you're looking for additional Broncos talk, you can get it over there on the Bet Show. Um, so DNVR Bets Daily, that's the podcast. You can go subscribe. If you like it, leave us a nice review, as you guys, so many of you have done for us here on this show. But we had a conversation about rookie receiving total over-unders. And I'll just tell you right now, we're giving out our DraftKings Sportsbooks pick of the week on the show today. And I'll tell you right now that mine is Jerry Judy, over 750.5 receiving yards. and that's interesting and we can talk about that but there's also two other lines uh, with those top rookie receivers that I find interesting as well and that is Henry Ruggs who has the exact same over under as Jerry Judy at 750 and a half and then of course CD Lamb who I believe has the worst line of all these guys he's sitting all the way down at 700.5 um so, you know, you could go Judy or CD. Maybe maybe my pick of the week is CD Lamb because I think that is an easy, easy over. Uh, but I'm curious to hear what you guys thought because Andre and I were pretty consensus where we were on these three totals. Uh, and I'll have you guys start with Jerry Judy. What do you think of Jerry Judy at 750 and a half? I mean, when you say those three lines, I like all of them, but one of them is saying – open your eyes because one of them is so so juicy and ryan that's your pick of the week that i mean you just found you found gold there sir on DraftKings sportsbook jerry judy at 750 that one just is singing at me that one is so good i think if you wanted to make that one juicy i think the line should be 875 not 900 may just be a bit too high, even though I think he would even go above 900 as well. So, I mean, I think he's going to go over 750 by at least 150 yards. So I love that. Mace, uh, I see a dose of reality on your face. <laughs> uh, or maybe well, not reality, but, uh, you know, just a, a little bucket of cold water. I, I could see it over your Ah, uh, Well, I'm sitting here as you guys are talking, and I'm just doing a little uh, – a little number crunching as I, as I tend to do here. And um, unfortunately, I was not done with my number crunching. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you'd get to me about like two, min about two minutes later here. So I was hoping Zach could kind of carry it for a little bit. So what I'm trying to do right now is I, I want to be able to get the uh, – get all the rookie receivers of the last 20 years and in particular the first rounders put them all in a, put them all in an excel file and kind of get the, get the median here based on where they're picked and i know this is a you know this is sort of taking out the uh the, the situations that they face but 
Well, Mace, anyway. when, when, when you're doing that, I thought you were going to be crunching numbers that you've already crunched. And so I'll just use one of those since you're going to be using new numbers now. Yeah. In the, the past three first-round receivers from the University of Alabama all came to the right. NFL in their rookie season, averaged 950 receiving yards. There you go, right there. And if we're going off talent alone, um, of course, that's, um, oh my gosh, the Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and Amari Cooper. If you're going off talent alone, I think it's fair to put um, Jerry Judy number two behind Julio Jones, who was, of course, a, a top 10, top five pick. So I'm putting him there. And why, will, why would he not have that same success? He's in a pass-happy offense. He's going to be the, the one or two receiver on this team he's going to be on the field at all the time uh and he's got drew lock throwing him the ball so i have all the confidence in the world he'll be at least able to get that average mark which is 950 and i just want to add to that and say that uh to me of the receivers that have come out most recently you know i feel like the closer you get to now the closer you can make these comparisons i honestly think the closest comparison and he's one of the guys you mentioned is amari cooper and amari cooper went over a thousand yards in his rookie season you know, and that was the one year that Derek Carr was really awesome. Um, but, you know, that that to me, when everyone talks about rookie receivers, they talk about rookie receivers struggling. And I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. Rookie receivers struggle because they don't have the routes in them yet. They aren't good route runners. That's Jerry Judy's biggest strength by far. He is as good, if not better, as a route runner than Amari Cooper was when he came in to the NFL. So that's my quickest comp there. He went over a thousand. That's why I feel really confident in this. Now, one thing though, is that when Amari Cooper went to Oakland, they had Michael Crabtree, but Crabtree came into that year. He was with the 49ers the previous six years. He only had 1000 yard season in his first six six campaigns in the league. So Amari Cooper went to a scenario where you had a good receiver, but not somebody who was playing at a Pro Bowl level who'd proven he could be a wide receiver one like Cortland Sutton has had. And that's why when you look at you look at Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones out of Alabama, both going to the Falcons, Julio gets there. They've got Roddy White. Ridley gets to Atlanta. Of course, Julio Jones is already there. And I think what they did is probably more analogous to what you can expect from Jerry Judy than Amari Cooper going to the Raiders. And so that's why I'd be on the lower end of this with Julio, with, with um, Jerry Judy. So what did those guys do though, in their first years, Julio and Calvin Ridley? Who well, both of them, they weren't thousand yard receivers. Uh-huh. Julio Jones as a rookie had 959 yards on 54 catches, eight touchdowns. Calvin Ridley goes to Atlanta in 2018 and his rookie season has 821 yards on 64 catches. Now he had 10 touchdowns. That's the sort of season that I would expect from Jerry Judy coming in in year one. If he, if Jerry Judy averages 50, a little over 50 yards receiving per game, I'm pretty happy with that. That puts him right there in the low eight hundreds. Oh, without yeah, a doubt. So, so, with those comparisons, you still come back to this being an over bet. Right. And, and if he's healthy, and that's part of it, one of the, re- the reason why over under for a season is so interesting is because of the health factor. Because if you go back over the last 20 years of top 20 drafted receivers in the NFL, the average 
for an entire for an entire rookie season is 700 yards on the nose. Yeah, I'd love for to talk every to every wide receiver dra- draft in the top 20. It's 700 yards if you factor in what they do per 16 games. So that's the average per 16 games is 700 yards. If Jerry Judy, if Jerry Judy is healthy, he probably feel good about the over. But the injury risk is the the injury risk is the concern here, and that's why it's. I, I'm probably going to go with the under because I'm just going to say, okay, maybe he's going to miss a couple of games. Maybe he's going to pull a hamstring or something like that. Yeah, touch wood, by the way. Um, I don't think that – I mean, when I'm looking at this, I actually think they they bake in like maybe two games into these lines because I think they're trying to, um, to protect against a strategy where someone would just go take the unders on everything. And if oh, the under was, you know, a 50-50 bet in the first place and then you have injuries on your side, you'll probably come out on top. So I actually think they might bake in a, a, a couple missed games. Um, and I, I'm with you, Mace, you know, when I, whenever I've talked about taking an under on these guys, if we've had these conversations on DNVR bets daily, I've talked about the injuries. I mean, you know, all it takes is four weeks and you're pretty much done in a lot of these. Although in this one, I don't know if you would be. Um, so you, you go back to that number 750. If the over under was set at 999 and a half yards, I would say that Cortland Sutton being on the Broncos significantly impacts Jerry Judy's chance of covering that. But weirdly enough, with it down all the way at 750, I think Cortland Sutton being on the Broncos helps Jerry Judy's ability to, to cover that. Because even as a second receiver in this offense, 750 should be somewhat easy cover for Jerry Judy, in my opinion. And I already view him as the, as the guy who, by the end of the season, will be the number one, at least the team that other, uh, other teams are putting their number one corner on, the guy that other teams are going to put their number one corner on. So for me, Cortland Sutton taking pressure off Judy is the best thing for him in this bet because he's going to be going up against number two corners to start the season, and he's going to – um, you know, have the, he's not going to have the whole offense riding on his back as opposed. And if you have anything else about Judy, we can circle back, but as opposed to Henry Ruggs, which is why I don't like Henry Ruggs at seven fifty and a half, because he's going to be coming into the league where he didn't even face number one corners in college. And he's going to be facing number one NFL corners on a week to week basis. And, and I said this over and over on bets last night. And I said, this isn't me saying I don't like Henry Ruggs because that would be disingenuous. I loved Henry Ruggs throughout the whole process. I don't love Henry Ruggs' situation where he has to walk into the Raiders who have an average quarterback and an average to below average team and be the number one receiver right away, which, again, is something he didn't even do in college. So that's why I'm on the under for that side. Yeah, and I understand. I totally get that. It makes a lot of sense. I just think John Gruden's going to say, listen, Derek, listen, listen to what I'm saying, man. I drafted this guy. You're going to throw him the ball, man. You're going <laughs> to throw him the ball left and right all day. So That's I don't think. That's not bad. Thank you. Thank you. So I love I, that. I, I just think that they're going to force it to him. And I think it's probably actually going to be a bad cover uh, for the Raiders in terms of I don't think he's going to get the 750 yards because he was um, the dynamic player that they drafted. I think he's going to have dynamic moments for sure, 
But I think he's not going to be averaging the 15 yards per catch that you wanted Henry Ruggs to be averaging. I think it's going to be he may have way more catches than, than Jerry Judy ends up happening or significantly more catches. It's just going to be so freaking forced. Because I agree with you, Ryan. I, I think if they were to use him uh, as, as a team ideally would, that he's probably not hitting that when he has number one coverage all the time. But I just think John Gruden's going to force it down Derek Carr's throat. I could see that, and I, and I definitely understand that perspective on it. And they'll uh, try to force some mismatches as well. They're going to try to uh, create situations where they've got rugs going on a number three cornerback. If a team is using their number three strictly in the slot, you know John Gruden's going to want to set up that matchup. The other thing that's interesting with rugs, even though you're not overly impressed with their wide receiver core, you are impressed with Darren Waller, their tight end, and in terms of creating things short to intermediate, you know, little little plays into the flat that Henry Ruggs can start turn into something big, Darren Waller can maybe draw some coverage and create some openings underneath for him. So where are you at on this, Mace? Oh, well, one thing that is interesting is I further went into the numbers. You talked about going through, say, recent uh, recent drafts. So I went through the last 10 years of top 20 wide receivers to look how many were over 750, how many were under. There have been there were 15 guys from 2010 to 2019 at receiver taken in the top 20. Eight of them had fewer than 750 yards. Seven had over 750 yards. But what is interesting, guys, is that five of those seven not just came from Alabama, they came from out of the SEC. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know, there, there's a pattern with guys coming from the SEC and being better prepared to step up and have big roles. So if you're going with the under, it's saying, okay, I think they're going to get hurt. But the recent history says if, they, if you expect them to stay healthy for, four, for 14 games or 15 games, the over is probably the play for both Ruggs and Jerry Judy. That's really interesting. Uh, and I love uh, Andre loves to dive into the numbers like you, Mace. And I love what what, what ends up happening is I see where DraftKings Sportsbook got the number. Yeah. You know, they followed the data and they said, okay, here's you know ha- half these half of these rookie receivers go over, half of them go under. And I love when I figure that out, or uh, should I say, when you or Andre figures that out, <laughs> because then I say, okay, yeah, they're not looking at how damn good Jerry Judy is. They're looking at what history tells us about rookie receivers. That is to me a mistake, and I get to capitalize on that and cash it. It's yeah. it's a it's a really good point, and it isn't one of the best bets in Vegas taking the under because people don't like. I, I think the odds are a little more in your favor taking the under I don't know about season props but I know with like uh, game totals it's a little better because people don't want to be cheering for a slug fest so they they want to be cheering for the over and that's why I'm actually surprised that 750 that just seems low to start off with I'm surprised it's not higher to to try to get more people to 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 to, go I guess to take the under yeah yeah it's really interesting and I think we're going to see this move um, there are a couple books already that have Jerry Judy at 799 and a half. Um, so this is one of those times where it's like, okay, if you're in on the betting scene and you like taking these props, taking props is interesting. You know, this is actually the first time I've ever been interested in prop bets because it's a, it's a long-term investment, honestly. 
Um, but if you're someone who likes to get in on the props, a lot of experienced professional bettors will tell you that these props are the best chance to make your money because there's not as much data on them. You know, from when, when the Broncos are playing the Chiefs in week 13, they've got 12 games of data from both teams. They can really, you know, base this off of the Broncos, especially, I think there's like, this is like a, a perfect storm of opportunity to make money off of betting Broncos prop bets, because I think the Broncos are going to be an entirely different team in 2020 than they were in 2019 in Vegas or, you know, wherever else has no data on, you know, what the way this team is going to look. So I think you're, you're actually falling into like a perfect storm of opportunity here. If you believe in Drew Locke, you believe in Jerry Judy, you believe in all these guys, you know, et cetera. So uh, I'm there. Okay. Let's move on to the third one here. And I truly think that this line is 300 yards off. Uh, and this is CD lamb over under 700 and a half yards this season. I actually think that that CD lamb is a thousand yard receiver in the Cowboys offense. And uh, I think this one is going to probably be the easiest cover of the, of the bunch. I don't understand why he's the lowest of the three. He's going to the, the most pass happy offense of the three. And you could argue that he is uh, the, you know, some people have made the argument that he's the most talented receiver in the draft. So I think this is an easy cover for me. Well, one thing you think about, do you expect him to simply replace the production that Randall Cobb had, of course, Cobb now with the Texans because CD lamb, he's the number three guy there in Dallas, right behind Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup but there was still enough left over for Randall Cobb last year to get 828 yards. Precisely. Yeah. You know, uh, Randall Cobb, there's no kernels left on that Cobb. I mean, he is an old washed up receiver <laughs> and uh, CD lamb. I believe it's insulting that you called him the number three wide receiver behind <laughs> Michael Gallup because he's way more talented than Michael Gallup. Uh, so I think he's the number two receiver, but even if, you're right, and he's the third. There was still over 100, 150 yards over this 700 available for Randall Cobb last year. This, to me, and, and I, we looked at all of this on the bet show yesterday. It's like, this, this one's way off. Yeah, and how dare you say that about Michael Gallup, though, <laughs> though Ryan? And this conversation. But you knew he would. <laughs> of course, of course. Michael Gallup could lead the league in receptions and receiving yards, and. Mr. CU Buffs would find a way <laughs> to denigrate him. No, 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 no. You know what? I, I, uh, I've, I never said a bad thing about uh, uh, Shaq Barrett. Um, I just so We got to know him. He was just a cool dude the, the more we talked to him. He was a really cool dude. Uh, I'm trying to think of other CSU guys that I've given credit to. I think that Preston Williams is going to be a good uh, NFL receiver. Oh, okay, um, okay. So, you know, I'm willing to dole it out. I, I'm just not willing to say that C.D. Lamb doesn't walk in and become the number two option instantly. Well, and, and I think that's, that's fair as well. And what's hilarious about this is the half. 700 and a half. I mean, why do that? Um, I don't want you to push. I mean, the chances <laughs> on, of it landing exactly on 700 is so rare. But yeah, you, no. can you imagine waiting – six months on a bet and then you just push <laughs> that would be so frustrating but I agree with both of you it, it and Ryan I agree with you I think this is this is so low and I'm I'm surprised that it's also uh that he's also the lowest but to me the the one reason why I would think 
not think about the under, but maybe be a little bit hesitant. But see, I'm not even hesitant, even with this reasoning. But Vegas is telling me that they view Dak Prescott the way that I view him. Just he's not that good. And let's just say he is, worst case, their third receiver this season in terms of production. They're saying, can a below average quarterback get three guys to be 700 plus receiving? Did it last year? He did it. Yeah. yeah that that and yes. And now he yes. has Mike McCarthy. Yeah, there. and, that, and that's, yeah. that's why I just, I it's really tough to make the argument under 700. It's really really tough and that's why I like this one a lot too. I'd go over with all three of them. And maybe that's me getting fooled by Vegas and taking the overs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they always say unders and underdogs is where you make your money. But uh I where, just, by the way, where one, did they come out with Justin Jefferson, by the way? Do you remember? I'll have to look it up if you guys want to hold yeah. the conversation for a second. <laughs> uh, no worries. But he's interesting because, you know, you get into that, uh, that trend of SEC receivers oh, I being got more ready to go in year one. Now, Justin Jefferson isn't going to be a wide receiver one per se, of course, because Adam Thielen's going to get the first looks. But with Stephon Diggs gone, he's going to get plenty of opportunities there in that offense. He is the exact same as Jerry Judy, 750 and a half. That makes a lot of sense. That Where did he right, end up? Right there Excuse my ignorance. Uh, Minnesota, I okay. believe. Yeah. So basically, he's the one-for-one one replacement for Stephon Diggs in the lineup. Man, that's mm. going to be tough for him to replace that type of production. But he still is the number two receiver behind Thielen. Right, but number two. But does that mean he's coming up with say 600 yards, or is he coming up with 800 and 900 yards? I'd I'd bet more on the latter than the former, especially coming from an offense that had enough pro style concepts that Joe Brady brought over from the saints to where I think he's going to have a relatively smooth transition going to the next level, working in Gary Kubiak's offense in Minnesota. Yeah, I could say uh, that's an interesting one to me. I don't feel strongly either way. Um, I also just wouldn't want to make a bet where I have to cheer for Kirk cousins week in and week out. <laughs> uh, so that, that's a, that's a, that's a pass for me, but I think you're probably right on which, your evaluation there. Which way would you lean though, Ryan? Cause I feel the same way. I don't feel great about it. Uh, I'd lean over. I actually, I actually feel, you know, if I had to, go one way on all of these except for maybe rugs but even rugs i'm not like super confident in the under uh, i like the over on most of these based on where these guys are being slotted into their offenses and where, where those players usually end up in terms of production you know you don't see too many teams with their second receiver going under 700 yards or even 750 uh, right. you know usually there's a pretty you've got your your top receiver up there at a thousand and then 750 is right around where you know you see that second receiver so uh i like the overs on most of these but i don't like that one particularly holy cow scrolling through these these over-unders for receiving yeah. travis kelsey i know is it twelve twenty-five? and that would be the lowest output of his last three years no way <laughs> yeah we oh talked about him last night too gosh yeah, Holy last year was twelve twenty nine, and the year before was like thirteen something. Oh my goodness! 
it's so easy for him to get the ball on that offense that it just yeah. happens over and over and over again. And Andre made a perfect point about it last night. He said, you know, teams have to pick their poison when they play against the Chiefs. And everyone picks Travis Kelsey because he's not going to beat you in one play. You know, you're fine with Travis Kelsey catching eight. Well, you're not fine with it, but you have to live with Travis Kelsey catching eight-yard balls at a time. At least it gives you a chance on second down to, you know, get a stop and move him into third down and hope the ball slips out of Mahomes' hands or something. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're picking Tyree Kill or Meikle Hardman as your poison, and they're going and having two-play drives for 75 yards in 13 seconds. Yeah, you're dying taking that poison pill. Yeah, you die. I mean, most of the time, you die. Either way. <laughs> you better hope you have an antibody on the other side. Of the ball. <laughs> um, the one, the last one I wanted to ask you guys about, just to see where you are, because you both have, I guess, an interest in this team, notably Mace, but also Zach, your boy Tom Brady. <laughs> so, uh, Chris Godwin is at over under twelve twenty five point five. Now, last year, he went over 1,300 yards. But I just want to see what you guys think about this before I give you my take. Man, that – I think I like the under on this one. I certainly don't love the, love the over. That's just – that's a lot. Tom Brady, I think he's going to be fantastic. I don't think we're going to see 5,000-yard Tom Brady, 4,500-yard Tom Brady. I don't. I don't think we're going to see that level of Tom Brady either. And also – if you're not seeing that level, if you're not seeing 5,000-yard Tom Brady, there's only so many receptions, so many yards to go around for that group, including Rob Gronkowski, O.J. Howard, Cameron Bray. And you know that Tom's familiarity with Rob Gronkowski is probably going to result in him getting a few more targets, especially early in the season, than you might expect otherwise. So, I think Chris Godwin will go over 1,000 yards, but I got to take the under on that one. Yeah, so what I think here is this is an amazing opportunity to fade the public. I think this number is being driven up because people look at what he did last year and say, oh, my God, that was with Jameis Winston, and Jameis Winston sucks. So what's he going to do with Tom Brady? And that's a massive mistake, but I can see why just the, you know, average better in the public might think that. What people don't realize is that – Jameis Winston put up absurd numbers last year. Yes, including his interception total. But across the board, over 5,000 yards passing, uh, you know, 30 touchdowns. They moved the ball like crazy when they were out there, and he wasn't turning it over. And I just don't think people know that. They just think Jameis Winston sucks. Tom Brady's good. This, you know, this should be an easy thing for him. And the other thing that I, I think is being undervalued is the presence of Rob Gronkowski. Uh, you know, he comes in as the guy with familiarity with Tom Brady, and I just think Tom is going to lean on him so much in third down situations and other times in the red zone. Uh, so I think this, is, this should be a lot lower, but I think, you know, uh, Joe in Aurora looks at this and says, why is it 100 yards under what he did last year? With a, and now he has a better quarterback. I'm taking the over, and, and Vegas just has to keep you know, raising it or, or leaving it there. Yeah, that's the disrespectful truth to Joe and Aurora. What are you thinking, <laughs> Joe? Joe? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And what people can't forget is Jameis Winston was an absolute stat machine last year, including interceptions. But he was throwing 5,000 yards. So yards were not hard to come by. And by the way, guys, 
see if you can guess how many thousand yard passing targets there have been for Tom Brady in the last 10 seasons. Wait, say that again. How many players have had a thousand yards in receiving for Tom Brady in the last 10 seasons? I'll say how many, how many seasons or how many players has anyone done it twice? And this is like, this is, this is, Rob Gronkowski, if he had 3,000-yard seasons, would count three times. Okay, all right. Uh, I've got three. Oh, wow. I'm going to go – I was going to go 15. <laughs> ten. Okay. 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 So ten, the there have been ten individual 1,000-yard seasons. But what's interesting is that since 2014, there have been – Six individual thousand-yard seasons, but three have belonged to Rob Gronkowski alone. Only three going to the wide receivers. Interesting. That and, that's fascinating. And, and what was that over/under on Chris Godwin? Was it? You said twelve fifty or twelve seventy-five? Twelve twenty-five and a half. Twelve twenty-five and a half. Okay. Well, if we extrapolate this further, in the last ten years. Literally only three pass-catching targets have been over that number with Tom Brady, and none. Oh yeah, that's what my over. guess was based on. Yeah, yeah, none have gone over 1,200 yards with Tom Brady since the 2012 season when Wes Welker did it. So that's wow. that's seven seasons, no receivers or t- tight ends over 1,200 yards working with Tom Brady. So I've got to go under on Chris Godwin, much as I love that guy. Well, wow, yeah, really quick, speak, speaking – or, Ryan, I'll let you go. Okay. So, just the one thing that you might say if you're trying to explain why uh, Chris Godwin would be able to have a better season is that they lost possessions based on Jameis's turnovers, and that's not going to happen. Well, I mentioned that yesterday. Andre dug into the numbers. They actually had almost the exact same amount of possessions per game, the Patriots and the Buccaneers last year. So, even with all of Jameis's issues, they were still just – just racking up possessions, moving the ball all over the place. Uh, and, and they were trying to hurry it up because they were often playing from behind and trying to accelerate the tempo to catch up. Yep. Am I the only one shocked, frankly, that Mike Evans has a lower over-under than Chris Godwin? I mean, he's at, he's at 1,200 and a half, which is obviously nothing to sneeze about, but I for sure thought Mike Evans would be more than Chris. Godwin had the better season last year. so. He did. That's what I guess that's what they're leaning on here. I don't like either of those numbers. Funny enough, the third one is Rob Gronkowski, and I believe he's somewhere in the 600s. 600 and a half. Yeah, that one I like the over. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I do as well. So what was so it was 1225 and a, for uh, Evans, or what was his number? Do we remember? 1200 uh, and a half. Yeah. Okay, t- 1200 and a half. Well, that's again how they come up with their lines. Mike Evans has three seasons north of 1,200, three seasons south of 1,200. There you go. <laughs> and, and in all of this, I, I do not think it should be looked over that Tom Brady is washed. <laughs> okay, so we do have our DraftKings pick of the week. I gave out mine already. It's that Jerry Judy number. I honestly would feel just as comfortable, if not more comfortable, putting it on CD Lamb, but I'll give you the Broncos side of things. Do you guys want to pick one of these, or do you got something else for me on your DraftKings Sportsbook Pick of the Week? Man, when I was combing through these the past couple of days, I found two beauties, but one of them really fits into the conversation today. So I'm going to save my other beauty for next week and hope I can find some more beauties in these coming weeks. But 
you mentioned his name right before we started this, Ryan. Rob Gronkowski. I like that 600 and a half, but I love his touchdown number. Touchdowns over under five. Ryan, you said it when talking about Gronk. He is going to be the safety net for Tom Brady, and you know where you want your safety net the most? It's in the red zone. It's when the field gets small. He's going to be going after Gronk early and often all season. Now, you probably do have to count on Gronk missing a couple games, but I don't think you have to worry about him missing a couple of games multiple times this season because he did take all of last year off, and he's probably as healthy as he's really ever going to be throughout his career. This is a guy in 11 or in, in 10 seasons has 79 touch or in nine seasons has 79 touchdowns, 8.8 per season. I think Brady's really going to rely on Gronk. So I love the over on the touchdowns at five. All right. You could honestly cover this in the first three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) You could, he could, he could go for two each, each of the three weeks. I think the reason the over-under is so low is the question of whether he's going to stay healthy. That's what's all – you're throwing the dice on the injury risk here. That's all that is. That's why I'm – that's why I say, like, you know, I said the first three games. More realistically, it would be the first five games, first eight games. You know, you need one touchdown every three games from Tom Brady's favorite target maybe ever. Um, (laughs) It's just – Wow, I, I you, the injury is kind of the injury um, disclaimer here. I think is too high. You know, if you set it at ten, now I'm thinking, okay, well, injury. Maybe he misses half the season or whatever. But at five, he could miss half the season. And you could still win this bet. Yeah, and maybe what Vegas is going off of, or why people would take the under in the past three seasons. Of course, not including last year because he didn't play. He had three touchdowns, eight touchdowns, and three touchdowns. But before that, in the six seasons before that, he had four touchdowns once, and then he doubled or tripled that five number every other year. So what? What? Or go through them the totals for, since what? Twenty fourteen. Since 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 twenty ten, from twenty ten to twenty fifteen, he had ten, seventeen, eleven. Four when he only played seven games, twelve and eleven. And then what were the game totals on the ones where he had three? Uh, eight where he only started six, and then his final season he played in thirteen games and only had three. Mm, so that's I guess what gives you pause here is right. he played and wasn't productive in that season. And that was probably his last season with the Patriots for a reason. And clearly it wasn't Tom Brady. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, That makes you ponder it a little bit more. Those are good numbers. But still, I think, you know, a fresh Gronk with the whole year under his belt comes out and at the very least produces in the red zone, even if it's not between the 20s. And here's the thing that really makes me love this is it was Tom that won a Gronk. Now, it wasn't really a secret, but now we know officially it was Tom pounding the table for Gronk. He didn't want him to be a decoy. He wanted him to use him as a weapon. Totally. All right. Well, when you win your bets, you're going to want to celebrate, and no better way to do it than with an ice-cold Breck brew. Oh, are you still – 
Oh, I got to get your uh, pick of the week. Sorry, mate. <laughs> That's okay. Well, guess what, guys? The National Rugby League in Australia comes back next week. Oh. Matches start on May 28th, and you can bet on the National Rugby League at DraftKings Sportsbook. And I've got to play for you right here. You've got the Gold Coast Titans. Temp- they are technically the home team, but they're going to be playing this match over in Brisbane against the North Queensland Cowboys. Now, here's the thing. Gold Coast has lost 13 matches in a row, and they have lost those matches by an average of 21 points per, per match. Over the time. Actually, I think 20, yeah, 21 and a half points per match over that time. They've lost their first two matches of the season before the suspension of the season, 24-6 and 46-6. Now, the North Queensland Cowboys aren't anything special, but they're giving – but Gold Coast is getting eight and a half. I like North Queensland to cover that, North, that eight and a half number, win comfortably. So give me the North Queensland Cowboys, even though they're giving up eight and a half points to Gold Coast. Start, that match will be on May 29th. A week from right. Friday. I love it. Uh, did you? What was it? What's our team again in that league? Brisbane Broncos. Brisbane Broncos. The I Brisbane should. Broncos actually will will be the first part of the first match to restart things in the NRL against the Parramatta Eels. Brisbane's a one and a half point favorite. Mm, okay. Good to know. What, what time is that match going to be on? Uh, it's three uh, three fifty in the morning our time. Oh, man, you could get a little KBO doubleheader if you want. I was going to say the perfect way to start your Friday. Man, KBO really did me dirty last night. Oh, no, after the night you were coming off of? I know. I went three. It's like when you have a birdie and then you have a double bogey right afterwards. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, I went 3-0 and followed it up with a good old 0-3. No. Well, tonight you're (laughs) due then, right? Tough scene. Uh, It was was, – it was just opposite day in the KBO last night. Everything that normally happens doesn't didn't happen. It was crazy. Sometimes Anyways, Vegas has to win. I'm going back to this transition because it was good. <laughs> when you win your bets, you're going to want to celebrate. And no better way to do it than with Breckenridge Brewery. They've got all of your favorite beers. Uh, I'm all about the Strawberry Sky, of course. But also, they've got a new one. And it's, and it's Mile High City themed. Yeah, it's the Mile High City Copper Lager got that beautiful nuggets can uh and it's got a beautiful taste on the inside as well so uh you know i I always thought it should have been a gold lager since we're you know they weren't mining for copper but hey the taste (laughs) all comes out the same uh it, it you know it's a delicious beer very drinkable with some flavor as well well ryan you need a place to win the money in order to drink the victory beer and of course, you guys know our place is the DraftKings Sportsbook. They literally have it all. I just told you, Ryan and I told you about bets that you can cash in on in January. And Mace just told you about an Australian rugby game that's happening next Thursday. They literally have everything and anything, guys. This week, we got Legend, Legend versus Goats. Of course, you got Tom and Phil uh, uh, going up against Tiger and Peyton, that's going to be so much fun. They have it all on there. I I really wanted to pick one of those lines that they have for the golf match this weekend for my pick of the week, but they just have so many on there. I couldn't choose so many lines, and it's incredible because obviously the major sports aren't up and running 
in the United States. You have to get DraftKings Sportsbook literally has it all and keeps you entertained even without the sports. When, the, when, when all the major sports are back, it's going to be unbelievably lit, but you don't have to wait. Get in on this weekend's golf game and man, it is so much fun. And guys, if that wasn't enough, they're offering a special promotion Place $20 in bets on the big event, and you'll receive a free $20 live bet. So bet $20 and get $20. So download the draft, the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now, and use the code DNBR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. So don't forget, enter the code DNBR and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Good stuff, Zach. And I should note, you know, one of the coolest things about the, the legal sports gambling uh, coming up in Colorado is these promotions. I mean, DraftKings is just throwing promotions out there. Uh, all all sorts of fun stuff uh even you know even last night they just had a hundred percent profit boost if you wanted it so that means if a team that you had was plus 100 and you bet on them well all of a sudden they're plus 200 you're getting two to one on that so uh really really cool stuff and they just you know you wake up you open the app you see what's at the top there they put all the promotions right in front of you you don't have to you know dig and dig to try and find the promotions all you got to do is click one button you're in on the promotion it's really cool stuff, uh, and it's and it's the probably the most underrated part I think so far of the legal sports gambling is just the promotion. So, I think you know it, obviously they're uh, they're they're trying to do these promotions to get people in the door, and the, the sooner you get in, the more of these you get to capitalize on because you're already in the door. Man, it, it just like you said to to me, Ryan, uh, when we weren't on this pod, you knew that legal sports betting was going to be awesome, but you didn't expect all of these awesome promotions from DraftKings just left and right. I truly, truly did not. All right, let's move on to the questions from our fair listeners. And I'll let one of you guys kick us off. All right, let's get started with Broncos squared with all the talk about updating the Broncos logo slash uniform. You guys should put on a DNVR logo art contest. Have the artists of the DNVR family submit their ideas for a new Broncos logo or uniform. You guys could do a live exhibit and critique of the works, work submitted. That I love sounds it. like a great idea. That sounds like a great idea. And uh, it, it, we'd probably get uh, so many good ones that the Broncos may just have to take one of them. I, yeah, I mean, there's a very good chance it'll be better than what they have right now. <laughs> uh, next we'd one have here to have comes- a prize for the winner, though. I mean, what would we give out, like giveaway? as a prize we have lots of things we can give away you know year membership shirt hat etc so from swedish bronco i started supporting the broncos in the 2018 season was about to start so that's why i don't know but why is josh mcdaniel so universally hated by broncos fans what's the one minute slash three top reasons explanation all right i'll give you uh the three top reasons reason number one came to Denver and instantly chased out the, the franchise's franchise quarterback that they had just taken in, in the first round of the NFL draft for the most mediocre quarterback you could ever imagine, Kyle Orton. But it was originally trying to do it for Matt Castle, who, by the way, is tied for Kyle Orton 
four most mediocre quarterbacks. <laughs> You're right. Uh, so he ended up missing out on his top target as a mediocre quarterback and just got the exact same guy who just was a little bit uglier. Um, <laughs> if he's a mediocre quarterback, what's that make Case, Case Keenum, Trevor Simeon, Joe Flacco? Oh, don't that we don't need mediocre. to we don't need to put Trevor in there. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, okay, so then reason number two, uh, he got caught cheating with the Broncos and really, you know, dragged the Broncos into what was supposed to be all about the Patriots cheating. He comes over from the Patriots with his cheating ways and, you know, kind of just um, muddies the Broncos' name a little bit in those waters, which Broncos fans really did not appreciate. And reason number three, the team's sucked under him and they had a terrible record and uh he wasn't a very good coach well and i'll give you a reason number four just to add on to what ryan's saying i don't think anyone liked him <laughs> anyone liked him players media fans uh probably his his coaches no one no one liked him he just wasn't a good dude he had at best a casual relationship with schedules and the clock, as in the media schedule, may say a press conference for that day was going to take place at 2 p.m., and it might happen at 4.30. Oh. He didn't have a respect for the time of anyone but himself, and that's something that I have a serious problem with. It's basically saying, okay, hey, my time, it's more important than your time. I don't care that you've got families, other obligations in life, other, other obligations in work, et cetera. We're going to do this whenever the hell I damn well please, even if it messes you up. So screw that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to add on, but I want that to be the last thing. <laughs> Swedish Bronco goes on and says, a short double dip. The best candy bar ain't lying. It ain't Snickers. It ain't Mars. It's the marvelous undefeated Dame Bar. We are talking crunchy almond caramel covered in chocolate, milk chocolate. It is, pardon my French, freaking amazing. <laughs> and a few years ago, they did a limited edition with mint. Oh, my. That was an 11 out of 10. Here's a link to the picture. How can they be that, how can it be that good if it doesn't have peanut butter? I mean, to me, that's the, the qualification for, the, for most candy bars, other than York peppermint patties, being on other levels, they got to have peanut butter. I'm going to say I'm looking at a picture of, like, what the inside of one looks like. It looks like really bad uh, protein bars I've had that are kind of just mush on the inside. Mm -hmm. it, it says that there's a crunchy almond. I don't see it, though. Oh, I can already picture what it looks like. Um, <laughs> I, you know, no matter how good it is, it's we've never heard of it because their branding is terrible. What the heck is a Dame bar? Like, come up with something that sounds good at least. Also, the the uh, the picture or the wrapping is kind of what you would expect from a Dame bar. It's like, oh, you just blow by those in the store. Maybe the whole point of having a simple name like that, even one that's, that doesn't have a lot of oomph to it, is because you're distributing it throughout Europe and you want something that kind of crosses the lines of language. So you know, it, it's something that can make sense whether you're in Sweden or Norway or Germany or France or Italy or Czech Republic or Britain or wherever. You know what I'll do, though? If I ever see a Dame Bar Swedish Bronco, I'll buy one in your name and, and make sure we all try it. I agree. I, I would try it for sure. It is Swedish, by the way. That, and 
Swedish Bronco is sticking up for the candy bar from his homeland. It was created by Maribel in Sweden in the 1950s, according to the Wikipedia page on it. Maybe uh, uh, Timmy from Sweden can chime in and give us a second opinion on the day. <laughs> yes. World of suck chiming in. I'm a bit behind on pods at the moment, but I want to comment on The Last Dance. Ryan made the point that the, that the documentaries were hating on Jerry Krause, but never made much of the fact that Krause constructed the greatest team of all time by putting great pieces around Jordan. Out of curiosity, do you guys think that was an intentional move to help MJ in the GOAT argument? When people argue for LeBron, they say he only hasn't won as many championships because he didn't have the surrounding cast that were as talented or as long-lasting as MJ. That argument feels a little bit weaker after watching MJ's GM uh, take a beating for the last five weeks. Thoughts? You know, I really I think the way Jerry Krause was handled in the last dance is the biggest weakness of this documentary overall. Now, obviously, they couldn't go interview him. He's uh, been dead for three years. But on NBC Sports Chicago, there is currently a series of excerpts from his unfinished, unpublished memoir that he was working on before he died. And reading them illuminates some things. Like, for example, constructing the team around Michael Jordan, Krauss made the point accurate at the time that in NBA history, you had very few champions and certainly no dynasties that were constructed around a position other than the center. Because, of course, you go back to the Bill Russell Celtics of the late 50s and 60s, and Russell was the man in the middle. Wilk Chamberlain in, in the middle for the Lakers. Willis Reed for the Knicks. Later, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, first with the Milwaukee Bucks, then with the Lakers. Even the Celtics of the early 80s, right before Jordan got into the NBA, the Celtics, one of their big trades was for Robert Parrish. So they had an all-star in the middle. About that same time, the Sixers went over the top after they traded for Moses Malone. So the MO was build around the center. It's part of why Sam Bowie went in the draft ahead of Michael Jordan, number two overall of the Trailblazers back in 84. And of course, the Blazers already had a shooting guard in Clyde Drexler. But if you've taken the best available player, you simply would have just taken Michael Jordan. So I encourage everybody to seek that out. It's at NBC Sports Chicago, the series of uh, excerpts from that unpublished, unfinished, unfinished memoir by Jerry Krause. And I think the way The Last Dance should have gone about it with these things existing you know how they had points in the documentary where Michael Jordan would watch an interview from somebody else and yeah. react to it? Well, it could have simply been, okay, here's part of the memoir. Here's what Jerry Krause said and seeing what Michael Jordan's reaction is. I think the fact that Jerry Krause's voice isn't represented in this documentary in some way is, is the biggest failing of it. It's a very good documentary. I'm not in the camp of saying it's the best ever like some people are. And a big part of the reason why it isn't the best ever is because we don't hear Jerry Krause's side of the story in any way. The whole best ever thing was such recency bias. Like it yeah. was, it was honestly uh, absurd. I mean, I thought it was, it, it was, it's, and I haven't finished it yet. So with that disclaimer, but that was, it was just very good. You know, it, it was a great subject. They had great access, which really opened things up, but the timeline was all messed up. Uh, it made it very hard to follow. You forgot which season they were talking about at what time. 
Uh, and then the last thing here to the, to the point of world of suck, the whole thing was a giant propaganda piece for Michael Jordan. And, and, you know, he had his hands all over the whole thing. And of course he wants to portray himself in at least as good of a light as he could make uh, possible there. So uh, yeah, I think it was partly, you know, maybe they didn't talk about Kraus and give him as much credit because they did want to build up his legacy. Yeah. And what I was going to say was what Ryan, you just touched on is, well, look at the role Michael Jordan had in this. He, he had say in how it wanted to be portrayed. And like, like we found out even more in this documentary, he wanted uh, to be the best, and he wanted to show that he was the best, and he knows LeBron's coming for him. Totally, although I don't think LeBron can ever get there, but that's a conversation for a whole other day. Uh, from Bronco since seven. Hey, guys, been a while since I commented, but I appreciate the content and the entertainment y'all provide. I feel lost when I have to drive somewhere on weekends and have nothing to listen to. Well, maybe you can catch up on uh, DNVR bet shows. Yes. Uh, or the uh, the DNVR uh, – oh, my God, I'm, I'm blanking. <laughs> the Denver Sports Podcast. There we go. Um, he goes on and says, I wanted to say that I was excited at the Melvin Gordon deal and was surprised that y'all weren't so high on it. I thought I think we were the highest <laughs> people in the world on that deal. Yes. We were, but we were in our podcast yesterday when we talked about the perfect offseason, one thing that came up is okay, we should rather have Melvin Gordon or we should rather have Jason Peters and Devontae Freeman, somebody who's still on the market and can bring that pass catching ability that you've lacked from the but running back position in the last few years. Couldn't you have just Melvin Gordon and Jason Peters? Because I'd take that combination over the other combination. Yeah, you, you probably could with the cap space they have. And mine, mine but that was... that cap space is going to be chewed up, mostly chewed up by the rookies are signing, though. Right. Well, I guess it just depends how much Jason Peters is. I, I don't expect him to be a lot right now, but maybe he wants more. Mine was the perfect offseason. You just do a couple things different. Get Trent Williams, you make the big trade, you give a third round pick, a fourth round pick from next year in order to get him. And that probably does come at the expense of, of Melvin Gordon. But that doesn't mean that I'm not high on the Melvin Gordon signing Broncos since, right. since seven. That was just, you had to pull somewhere from somewhere. And instead of losing Jarrell Casey or AJ Boye, which I don't think you could afford, just because you have Philip Lindsay, a Pro Bowl running back there, you could you could afford to lose Melvin Gordon more, but it, it, I'm still very high on the signing. Yeah, it's not that it was bad. I think it was just okay. How do we take a good off season and say make it better, turn a a good to very good off season into something perfect? Like another example was, I would have gotten Chase Daniel as my backup quarterback instead of Jeff Driscoll. <laughs> big, Mace big, diving uh, into the backup. Point there. <laughs> I'll say I, I, I've said it once. I'll say it every time his name comes up until the season starts. No one is going to be complaining about Melvin Gordon's salary when he's scoring touchdowns in the red zone, and yep. uh, and that's that's the end of it for me. He goes on and says, "I wanted to ask a question. I know that Gordon and Harris Jr. was not a trade, but I was curious. If Gordon had always been a Bronco and Chris a Charger. Would you want to trade them this year to get Chris, or would you leave it as it is now? I know both of these guys have been stud players, but which would you prefer to have?" with the talents as they offer them today. Stay safe, men. This is tough. You have to live in a world where, like, Chris Harris Jr. didn't burn any bridges, and Melvin Gordon has been kind of disappointing for your team the last couple of years compared to where you drafted him. Um, so, I don't know. You probably end up maybe selecting Chris here, especially since you have Philip Lindsay on the roster. Yeah, but that, and that's taking out all those external factors, which you can't do. 
Yeah, and and having Phil on the roster makes this tough. I'm still going to say Melvin Gordon, though, just because Melvin Gordon, I think, could still be trending toward his prime. Now, it's hard to say because numbers necessarily wouldn't back that up. He's kind of been all over the place in terms of his numbers and trends. But Chris, from what we saw last year, it would say that he's trending down. So whoa, give me the. Oh, that was because the receivers are running the best <laughs> routes in the history of football. Zach. Come on. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't blame him. Too bad you get to play him twice this year and run those exact same routes against <laughs> him. <laughs> the one thing about Melvin Gordon, though, to say that where he's trending. Last year, he had the lowest per carry average of his career since his rookie season. Ditto for his his average per reception. So. Is he trending up? Is he going into his prime? Last year, plus the fact that he's simply a running back going into year six, who's had a lot of touches in the first five years, would maybe indicate otherwise cornerbacks, especially ones like Chris Harris Jr., who have the potential to maybe move to the safety position later on in their career. They're probably going to age a little bit better, even though Chris is going into year 10, Melvin Gordon going into year six. You'd probably bet on Chris Harris Jr. maybe being at a higher level for a little bit longer than Melvin Gordon. But that's getting into even like three or four years beyond the moment. Right now, for this year, I'd say they're probably equal. Yeah, and that's what I think is like on, a, on paper, they're equal. I actually think Melvin Gordon has a better chance to produce for longer than Chris does um, just because there's such a big gap in where they are in their careers. But without any of the external factors, you say it's a pretty close trade. Once you add in the fact that both sides had kind of gotten stale in their current situation, I mean, you heard Melvin Gordon the other day talking about how the Chargers weren't utilizing his strengths and those sort of things. It just sounds sort of like Chris Harris with the Broncos saying, hey, despite the fact that I said I should be on the outside for years and years and years, now that I'm on the outside, I actually want to be in the slot. What are you guys doing? Why'd you listen to me? Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit of both, but I think both sides – needed to move on from their current situation. I think both sides are better off where they are now. Super quick. Would it have been a fair trade to just swap the two if they were both still under contracts? Like if they did that this off season, if it was a trade instead of free agent signings. Yeah. I think think it probably would have been viewed as a good deal for both sides, right? Maybe, but the last time the Broncos made a big cornerback for running back deal the Broncos got the corner worked out a little bit better there there would be people complaining about that deal if it was straight up if it happened like that That's, yeah, but, why, why are you trading for a 60 year running back but you know the truth is it's all about situation and Clinton Portis went to a bad situation in Washington which is why his production went down so much I think Clinton Portis you know stay if you flip things the other way around and Clinton Portis started his first two years in Washington and then came to Denver for the rest of his career, we might be talking about him as a Hall of Fame player. Yep. Well, I wouldn't say it was a bad situation. It wasn't as good as Denver for running backs, but he did have some very productive years while Joe Gibbs was there, and he did get four years under Joe Gibbs, and then went to the playoffs twice. So he, was, he got there at least not when Washington was great, but when they were still a functional organization before the whole thing really devolved into chaos after that. Totally, but he was the perfect fit for what Mike yeah. Shanahan was trying to do. Yes, he was. But Mike Count- Shanahan was smart in saying, I can do this with anyone. So. Yep. Count Locula, speaking of Chris Harris, why is Strap Harris tweeting about a chip on his shoulder? Didn't he kind of land himself where he did? 
I'm confused. He's still miffed about not being drafted. Was it that free money last year that sent him over the edge? I love me some CHJ, and I know his personality, so I'm not surprised, I guess, but come on. Just go play ball, right? Love the count. This is one of those things that is just what you get with these type of guys. Uh, if if Philip Lindsay, you know, somehow had a bad breakup with the Broncos and he went to the Ravens, Broncos fans probably end up really disliking Philip Lindsay because he would just be talking about how the Broncos did him dirty, how he's out to prove them all wrong. Everyone's against him in Denver. He can't believe his hometown. Did, you know, it, it's just this is what these guys do. It's how they motivate themselves. And they have a, a deep internal motivation, but there's external motivators that push them to another level. So Chris needs to find that. And whether it's warranted or not, he's going to pick the Broncos organization saying they, they didn't value him high enough. They underpaid him the first time around. It's, he, he's making up uh, stories in his head in a little bit in, of a way to push himself further. And, and it, again, you love it when they're on your team and it kind of bothers you when, you when you're the reason that he's motivating himself. Yeah, one of the things I've learned about players is once they get a chip on their shoulder for whatever reason it is, that chip never goes away. And they'll always talk about Philip Lindsay. Let's say the Broncos give him four years $40 million, $10 million a year. He's still going to talk about how he has a chip on his shoulder. And it, it just, Chris is a guy who got that chip on his shoulder because he was a, you know, $2,000 signing bonus undrafted free agent. Phil, similar. He was an undrafted free agent. The Broncos drafted uh, the accountant over him. Uh, and, you know, those guys have a chip on their shoulder and they're just always going to have it. Rod Smith had that chip on his shoulder until the day he retired. And in fact, to this day, if you ask him about being undrafted, he still has the chip on his shoulder. It never goes away. And it's a good thing. It's mm -hmm. a good thing. But it is a it, little bit annoying when you see it from the outside looking in. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, like a it's like a fire. You've got to keep it in control. If you let it get out of control, it's going to be a problem. But if you're keeping it kind of in line and channeling it and getting the most out of it, then, it's, then the, as a team, you're going to reap the benefits of that guy having that sort of fire. And he also probably has a chip on his shoulder because he thought he was going to break the bank. And, you know, he got a pretty lame deal. Yep, yep. Drew Lockerboy chiming in. Hey, boys, can I get top three non-quarterback player of all time list? Thanks. Drew Butter, boy ravioli with a side of chicken Chinese food locker. Okay, I, I don't really follow that nickname, but the top three non-quarterback players of all time, that, that's actually pretty easy. It's some order of Jim Brown, Jerry Rice, Lawrence Taylor. Well, uh, the one that I didn't I, – I was, I was stuck on my third. I had Jerry Rice and Lawrence Taylor. Me too. And I don't know if it's Jim Brown. I don't know who it is, honestly. Uh, I'm struggling with that one a little bit. I am too. I am too. See, Jim Brown to me is the one that would be I, – I thought maybe Lawrence Taylor would be the one that kind of got the controversy. Jim Brown was just otherworldly while he no, played. but it's so left, short. Left, well, he left in his prime. We never saw the decline. Instead, he was off doing the Dirty Dozen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't have another great candidate off the top of my head that I'm, I'm prepared to make an argument for over Jim Brown, so I'll just let you have this one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> next one here uh from official fink tinfoil alert i think john isn't worried about the left tackle position because of perceived elite speed at which the offense will be moving with all the latest additions especially love all you do to provide such consistently superior product thank you um no i i just think that 
John Elway knew that he wasn't going to be able to check off every box in the offseason. It's impossible, really, unless you have only a couple boxes. The Broncos had a lot of boxes. They checked off a lot of boxes. Unfortunately, they always knew one of them wasn't going to get checked, and that's where they landed on Garrett Bowles. Um, they might call in some help one way or another from a veteran, but I just think, you know, as a general manager, you start to understand there's no such thing as the perfect offseason. You're going to have to – uh, address certain places and and you can't overextend yourself just because you want to try and um, get one more than the other that sort of thing so uh, I think he thinks that Garrett Bowles is serviceable which I think is probably true and knew that it wasn't all going to work out perfectly and so that's where they ended up and as much as I didn't want the Broncos to make left tackle the one box that they didn't check off I would almost rather prefer that than fill every hole by you know 50 percent, so you can fill every hole so I, I do like the way they did it I just I wish it was any other position outside of left tackle but uh yeah I do think John's worried right after the draft he said he was worried about it um but yeah it, he he did a great job this offseason it's just the one box he wasn't able to check yeah and who knows how it might have been different if the if the run on receivers had happened earlier and the Broncos had not been able to trade up, then maybe you are talking about a tackle perhaps there at number 15. You're still a team that's building. You're a team that isn't going to be able to cross off every item on the list like RK alluded to. So just hang in there. You've gotten by with Garrett Bowles at left tackle. He did do a little bit better with Drew Locke out there last year, but uh, any team, even a great team, has spots at which they're below average. It's just the nature of the game. I don't know what, much. I was going to say, I don't know what made me think of this right now, but we still have that troll in our uh, iTunes reviews section. So a lot of you have done an incredible job of, of giving us reviews. So I'm really appreciative uh, of all of you guys. Uh, so I, I want to thank you guys specifically for leaving us those reviews. But I don't know what's going on. We just This, this one guy has figured out how to uh, scam the system and continue to make his – negative review with with personal insults it comes with everything uh he he keeps figuring out a way to make that one the number one review on our itunes page so we would love it and appreciate it if you guys go in there and leave us uh, uh a review shout out to derek dickle md lucas uh jack something sorry i can't pronounce that DJ, a bunch of characters, Billy Boy 110. I mean, I could keep going on. You guys have been awesome giving us uh, reviews. We really appreciate those. And uh, unfortunately, we got to keep them coming so we don't have that one review sitting at the top every time. But I guess we appreciate the listen from that one reviewer. But uh, yeah, you could leave us out of the uh, iTunes. That is true. I mean, in the end, our advertisers count your listen just as much as everyone else. <laughs> Okay, now you can go on with Ass Watch 22. He says, hey, gang, just wanted to say I really, really love the scenarios you guys pose to change a very good offseason into a perfect offseason. The would you rather have Melvin Gordon or Devonta Freeman and either Jason Peters or Kelvin Beecham or Trent Williams idea as well as maybe changing up potential draft picks is a very interesting idea. However, I think if you were to lose K.J. Hamler out of this draft class, it may not appear significant right away, but it would show up against the Chiefs and Raiders when our secondary is, is trying to tail rugs and hill burning through the open field. Hindsight is, of course, 2020, but I'm of the belief that the 
that what the Broncos did was the most perfect and best way to go things, to go with things. When it comes down to it, how many of you two or three guys of RK is with us today would trade Camler or Hamler, one average year of Garrett Bowles and Melvin Gordon for Trent Williams and Devonta Freeman? I can absolutely understand why you'd rather have the latter guys, but I think you will get more production out of the first option. If you switch, switch Trent Williams and Jason Peters and still get KJ Hamler with that pick, then maybe I'd take Peters and Freeman group. But as of today and for the season, I'm so on board to have Melvin Gordon as a bigger guy to help fill out, even if Phil doesn't see it that way, and for Bulls to not exactly figure it out, but toss Drew Locke a bone so Drew can toss KJ some 50-plus yard bones. Ran a tad bit longer today, but I'm wrapping up now so we can let other voices in. Love you guys and your content as always. Go Broncos and go DNVR. P.O. Shout out DDM for joining and posting her first comment yesterday. Don't forget to join the DNVR Lounge. We have a ton of fun in there. Well, here you go, AbsWatch22. Here's the way to answer your question. Um, maybe I didn't uh, make it uh, clear enough yesterday. I'm not trading a second round pick this year. I'm trading something for next year because the uh, 49ers proved that they could trade something from next year and get a deal done. So that's what I'm doing. Now you get to keep Hamler. Yeah, I assumed that you made the same deal the 49ers did that involved the 2021 pick being the primary aspect of what you were giving back for Trent Williams. Yep. So yeah, you, you, you in this case, to in the parlance of Vic Fangio, you can have all the pasta and the meatballs <laughs> this year. Yeah, because I was going to say, I don't love the idea of, of losing Hamler. Um, and I love the fact that the spelling of Devontae Freeman really trips up Zach. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Next one's from our good friend Iceman. Hey, amigos. Darren Williams I would watch because he did everything the right way. But Josh McIdiot, still, no way. I'm a big TB12 fan. I just hate McIdiot for trading Jay for Kyle. The guy that could not even beat out Rex Grossman. <laughs> Go America Broncos, Drew, and DNVR bar. You know what? I, I'm with you, Iceman. I, you know, and and I, I think uh, Mace put it the best uh, the, the earlier. I forget what he said. Something along the lines of, screw that guy. Um, <laughs> but it's still a fat. It's still fascinating. Like, I still want to see it. I want to see how dysfunctional it was behind the scenes. I want to see, you know, and I'm, I'm 100% sure these don't exist. But I want to see the clip of Josh McDaniels reaming one of his coaches because he asked if you guys won the lottery, would you come back tomorrow? And all of them said yes, except for one who said, honestly, no, the, the lottery was at like $480 million. The guy was like, no, I would go spend, you know, some time on the beach with my family and make up for lost time that I haven't had for years. And Josh McDaniels lost it on this guy. Uh, and said he should fire him on the spot for having that answer. Oh so my gosh. I want to see that stuff. As much as it'll make you hate the guy even more, I'm fine with a little hate here and there. You know, it gets the blood flowing a little bit. So <laughs> I'm down to watch that. And, and it will just, it's better for the story when you end up with the very um, competent staff of Gary Kubiak and even John Fox. Uh, but yeah. then you bring in Peyton Manning and you kind of make your way towards competence and then you jump all the way to the top of the NFL mountain. I, I think you even just can stop it right there with John Fox and his staff coming in because yeah. all of a sudden you went from the coach who had no experience and thought he owned the world to the coach who had all the experience you could possibly imagine, but to his credit, knew what he didn't know. 
Right. I and had enough self-awareness of, to understand that. I want to see the clips of uh, Josh McDaniels and Peyton Hillis going at it to see if all those rumors <laughs> are true. Oh, man. And the other thing, like McDaniels, I mean, you talk about the thing with the, the coaches. He wore down the coaches. He wore down the players. I mean, it's not a coincidence that that team, after starting 6-0 and in 09, went 2-8 and down the stretch. They were yep. all at the end of their rope way too early. They were all fried. Crazy. Yep. Man, how did uh, Rex Grossman make a Super Bowl? I don't know. A great defense <laughs> with Lovey Smith, who you know came from out of the Tony Dungy tree in Tampa, and is a very good defensive coach. And the Bears had a defense that was at its apex. Brian Urlacher was at his personal peak. And don't forget, great special teams because Devin Hester was capable of turning a game on its ear on a kickoff or punt return. That's how they did it. They had everything but the quarterback, but the passing game. But you can only go but so far with that. Yeah. Real quick, just last thing on McDaniels. DJ Williams told me he's the smartest football person he's ever been around. Uh, in, in the same sentence, I think said, like, the least favorite person I've ever been around. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Everyone, everyone says something similar. Nobody denies how intelligent he was, that he understood football, that he, he was thinking of things on a higher level. But where Josh McDaniels failed was interpersonal relationships, people skills, etc. That's where everything fell apart for him. And that's a huge part of being a head coach. And how you funny. deal with people, how you manage the men. It's funny because that was a knock on Kyle Shanahan. And honestly, the uh, Josh McDaniels scars might have been why they didn't go for Kyle Shanahan because that's what everyone said. Brilliant football mind, not exactly a people person. What's crazy is I had never met Kyle Shanahan back then. Now I have met Kyle Shanahan. And that's completely wrong. He's a super <laughs> yeah. cool dude. Like He's like one of the guys. And I've talked to people who have been on his coaching staffs. They absolutely love him. They say that, you know, he has big backyard barbecues at his house every Friday afternoon for the, all the coaching staff and family and players. I'm like, how did that rumor – maybe that, that was a leak from John Lynch uh, <laughs> trying to make sure that Kyle Shanahan came to him because that could not be more wrong about Kyle Shanahan's people skills. And the other thing is not only does he relate well to people, he's also very self-aware. He will own a mistake. He, he owned 28-3. For example, he said, "Yeah, you know, I let it get away with away from me. That's that's on me. That, and I like someone who has that humility, that self awareness to know that they make they make mistakes. They are fallible. They are human. And Kyle Shanahan has all that. Even after last year, guys, Kyle Shanahan's going to lead a team to a Super Bowl win. It's just a matter of time. I would not be surprised at all. Uh, so we've talked in the past about how." Awesome it is that you can support DNVR just by drinking some good beer. Well, you can also now support DNVR just by playing a really fun game on your phone. All you got to do is go to dnvrgolf.com and then click the link there to download World Golf Tour WGT. It's the most fun golf game you can possibly get on your phone. And even if you don't like golf, like many people in our company, they've fallen in love with the game because the gameplay is super smooth. Uh, It's really easy to play. Honestly, in terms of sports games on your phone. I don't know if I've ever played one that's as smooth as WGT. So go to dnvrgolf.com, join WGT, then you can hop into the DNVR Country Club where we put on our DNVR tournaments 
and it's fun for everyone. You know, they're super easy, short time commitment. It's not like a real round of golf. You've got to commit hours and hours. You know, you can play uh, one of our tournaments in under 30 minutes. And in, in, even in the case of our last one, which is just close to the whole 10 minutes, honestly. So uh, go do it. Download it. Tell your friends to download it. Go through that link and, uh, and enjoy because it's really fun. Guys, Australian rugby is back next week, as Mace made us aware. And if you want to learn the game, there's no better place to do it than on thednvr.com, where our guy Colton Strickler is taking us through the game of rugby, helping us learn it, and also teaching us about the Colorado Rapids. So make sure to go on thednvr.com to our rugby coverage, the Raptors coverage, Check it out. Colton's also got some awesome podcasts out there. Basic 101 pods teaching us about the game, about the team. They're on Twitter as well, of course, at DNVR Raptors. And, of course, you can follow our guy Colton Strickler on Twitter as well. So we've got all the Colorado Raptors coverage and all the rugby coverage you could need right now. All right. This next one is maybe the longest comment I've ever seen, but they gave us the out to not have to read it on the pod. So, Mace, uh, that one looks like it's directed to you. Maybe you can uh, go respond to that comment later today. Oh, you're muted. I'm muted. I, I will <laughs> go ahead and respond in in print, but I have to say I'm kind of blown away by it, and I really do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I, I'll take you up on that, uh, Manning's forehead. Uh, come down to the DMVR bar once everything is uh, is back to whatever the new normal is. and. Uh, I'd appreciate just having a drink with you and talk, talking ball, but also uh, talking about uh, how you're doing professionally because this, this, this guy is uh, at Arizona state university and uh, uh, he's report, he's interviewing for a position at the esteemed student newspaper down there. That's done a lot of great work and ASU is a great journalism school. So man, I appreciate you Manning's forehead. Thank you. And uh, look forward to meeting you sometime. That'd be awesome. Awesome. And also just, Shout out to you for being at ASU. I hope you're having as much fun as I had the few times I visited <laughs> down there. Um, okay, next one here. Oh, actually, Zach, you know, I'm, I'm bummed to learn that you, uh, you don't have time for the DNVR Madden League right now. I understand it because it is pretty big commitment. But did you enjoy, even though you didn't make it in the league, did you enjoy your initiation? Oh, man, I love <laughs> So does everyone get that welcome? Uh, you know, they do now. It, was, <laughs> it started with you. Now it's a tradition. Oh, man, it was uh, it was fun. But now I'm, I'm ready to go. I just need like a, a couple of weeks and I can't I can't freaking wait to join Ryan. Everything that I've heard about this Madden League is so, so awesome. So I pass up my spot this time, but I'm not passing it up when it comes around in a couple of weeks. Which uh, which email was your favorite? Oh man, <laughs> I mean, there were there were some long ones, there were some short ones, there were some poems. Man, probably the poem that I got was the best coming in from Caleb. It was uh, it was yes. pretty amazing. That's awesome. I, I, the one from Caleb was fantastic. I kind of thought my favorite one was the one about the Nigerian prince who would give you all the money as long <laughs> as you just admitted Aaron Rodgers was a top ten quarterback. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you're a good sport about it, but you always are, so I'm not surprised. Oh man, I do. I do have to say, all the people that reached out, man, I I can't I can't wait to got to roll with you guys this summer, though. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll definitely get Zach in at some point. Okay, from Logan to so the comment yesterday, looking for football podcasts to listen to. I have a couple recommendations. 
First is the unbuttoned podcast with Chris Sims, former Bronco. I find his takes on things are refreshing while not being ridiculous. He also gets his father, Phil Sims, on a bunch. Not beloved by Broncos fans. I guess Chris Sims isn't either. And you get to hear some cool stories about Elway and other things from the past. He's also high on Drew Locke and the Broncos, so you won't get annoyed at disrespect. The second is the Stick to Football pod. They focus on both college draft and the NFL. I found, uh, I've learned a lot about the draft and players while listening to them. One of the guys is a Chiefs fan, which is annoying, but he doesn't go crazy with it, so I can still respect his opinions. Thanks, guys. Have a great day, Logan. I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners heard that last sentence there about being a Chiefs fan and instantly scratched it off their list. <laughs> yeah, that's not, <laughs> it's not really a selling point. <laughs> Even if he's a, a, a tamed Chiefs fan, I can, just, I can hear it now just being like, he doesn't like specifically talk about the Chiefs, but you can just hear it. In his undertone. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Nick Wright. No, thank you. Nope. But from Rich Dude, my pops is an old school Polish tough guy from South Boston and a diehard sports fan. Wow, I can picture him so perfectly. <laughs> yeah. We had a bet on the 2015 AFC Championship game, and he ended up losing his eyebrows. Oh, my gosh. The best part is he worked for Homeland Security, and they sent him home his first day, and there was a subsequent week-long subsequent leak week long uh investigation i wish i could travel back to that one. Oh um, my gosh so so what did he have to do did he have to draw in eyebrows until they came back i don't know like i can't even imagine that interaction with your boss where they're just like no you can't, <laughs> you can't come here looking like that and you can't show your surprise as to being sent home because your eyebrows are gone <laughs> Thankfully, the Broncos didn't send Philip Lindsay home for not having eyebrows. Oh, oh boy! Now, now, what is it? Eyebrows go back, grow back faster than hair, right? Oh, slower. Lower. Much because slower. You, because you think you're taking the easy way out, getting your eyebrows yep. waxed, but no. Yep. Phil didn't have uh, any sort of semblance of eyebrows until like week three, and he honestly didn't have full eyebrow coverage until like week twelve. Oh, so Ryan, I know how much you like your hair. Would you take the eyebrow route? Well, no. Um, <laughs> I would go with the hair, but I will say, you know, I already have very light eyebrows, so maybe it wouldn't be as noticeable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next one from Butch Cassidy. Rank the coaching staffs in the AFC West. What is the biggest, biggest deficiency in coaching for the Broncos? Special teams. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> uh, you know, the – I, I don't know. I just don't trust Tom McMahon after the four-year plan for Colby Wadman. It didn't, it didn't work out for him. And you man, have to wonder whose call it was, by the way, on the punting change. Was it Tom McMahon that was pushing for Sam Martin or uh, John Elway and Vic Dangio that wanted a more experienced guy in there? RK is nodding his head as I say John Elway and Vic Dangio <laughs> pushing for Yeah, they said, uh, Sam sorry, Martin. Tom. Uh, if you want to have your own personal four-year plan, you're going to have to end the four-year plan for Colby Wadman. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really even think there's a conversation there. I think it's, uh, we signed Sam Martin. Okay. Which is funny that you bring that up, because remember I asked Tom McMahon that, uh, a question like that once, and he had a very stern answer. <laughs> yeah. I asked him, like, what's the conversation look like when the coach comes to you and says, hey, Tom, that guy's too valuable to play special teams? He was like, there is no conversation. I just say, okay, sir, and move on. <laughs> Such a Tom McMahon answer. Yeah, I, we, I, 
and it sort of reveals, even though he doesn't say very much, it reveals what he really thinks. He's pissed as hell that you're taking the player away from him, that he, he wishes it was like Virginia Tech back in the Frank Beamer days where he's using his starters all over special teams because he's also coaching the special teams in addition to being the head coach. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I think it came out yesterday, Dave Tobe, old friend, out there mm-hmm. in Kansas City said that uh, he's – He's losing Miko Hardman on special teams because he's going to be such a big part of the offense. That's got to break his heart a little bit. It's kind of scary, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, Dave Tobe is actually – if we're talking about rating the coaching staffs in the AFC West, as was mentioned in the question, uh, Dave Tobe and Steve Spagnuolo are two big parts of the reasons why the Chiefs have a really good staff. And you're not even talking about their best part. Well, Eric Bieniemy is their offensive coordinator, and at some point he is going to be a head coach somewhere in this league. Yeah, and Andy Reid is an offensive <laughs> yeah. Yes. But this is the thing that happens. It's, it's what happened to the Broncos when they got Peyton Manning. When you, get, when you have an elite roster or even just an elite player, coaches want to go there. You know, Steve Spagnuolo says, oh, my God, my job is going to be so easy in Kansas City. I have to keep teams to, like, 28 points a game, and we're going <laughs> to, you know, win football mm-hmm. games. So – uh, it's it, the Broncos have been the beneficiary of this in the past happens to be the chiefs who are benefiting from it right now. Everyone wants to go there because they're successful and, and they have a, a recipe. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Uh, Onion town links says uh, every time you guys talk about the DNVR Madden league, I get a certain itch to play. We got to get a PC league put together. Sorry for the long comment. <laughs> My boys. <laughs> links. Um, I'm sure someone uh, – there might be some PC Madden folks out there. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are. Gosh, every time it's brought up – every time I've thought about it the past 24 hours, it's killed me that I've had to wait – that I'm going to have to wait a couple of weeks. It's all right. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll be in soon. And you'll Can't probably wait. get a better team than what was being offered to you. You know, I was wondering if the team I was offered wasn't very good, but I imagine it's probably going to be a bad team that I get anyway because of well, guys dropping out. I don't know actually about the roster of the Chargers, but like you would have had to play with the Chargers and that would have sucked. And it's, it's Madden 2020, so I'm playing in a soccer stadium, right? Yes, you are. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was strategic. Strategery right there. Will Madden, 20, will Madden 21 have an option for you to play in an empty stadium? <laughs> I would imagine it does. It will. Because there are people that, are gonna, that want the hyper-realism that are going to want to play exactly as the games are being played this year. Yeah, but the thing is, is it, it's probably already done. The production on it is probably already done. I mean, they could probably make tweaks. I don't know how hard that one would be. But who knows when that, that would actually be officially announced. I don't think Madden would want to do it if for some reason they don't end up doing that. and Maybe it's 30% stadiums or whatever. So, anyways. Right, right. From LDJ. Hey, fellas, how's it going? First, I doubt he listens, but I apologize to Donovan McNabb. I love you as a kid, <laughs> especially in Madden 2006. <laughs> My bad, Mace. I was speaking to Shermer as a coordinator and how he schemes to make his quarterback successful. So I thought Shermer was just the QB coach for Donovan, so my mistake. Anyways, I follow a writer, Derek Cleason, on, uh, on Twitter, QB class on Twitter, and he ranked the tier of quarterbacks that he felt the 2019 class should be. He had Daniel Jones in the same class specifying Drew's ceiling if everything goes perfect can be Matthew Stafford. And he's earned the right to be a starter, but there's still a lot of risk with Drew. But he had Dwayne Haskins above Drew, just below Kyler? 
puzzling. So my questions are, what do people love about Daniel Jones that they don't see in Drew? I heard ESPN Fantasy Podcast project Daniel Jones as a top 12 quarterback this year. And they didn't improve their weapons. And Ingram and Shepard are very injury-prone. Is Jones better than Drew, in your opinion? Drew has more weapons and more athleticism than Jones. I don't understand that one. And lastly, was Washington so bad that it makes it hard to see Dwayne Haskins' potential? Because I think Derek Cleason is an awesome writer. But just on tape, I don't see Haskins being a tier above Jones and Drew. Like, I don't understand how he came to that conclusion. What am I missing here? Also, just shout out to Maurice Jones-Drew, as he keeps coming to my mind throughout this entire comment as he talks (laughs) about Jones and Drew. Um, First of all, his ceiling being Matthew Stafford, if everything goes perfect, is kind of insulting. Um, That's like a good good thing. Like, things went well, he becomes Matthew Stafford. Things go perfect, he becomes Brett Favre. Um, and with less interceptions. Um, <laughs> Dwayne Haskins above Drew. That one really is puzzling. And he mentioned it, you know, does, does Washington make it that hard to see his potential? Yes. 100%. Yes, it does. And guess <laughs> what? He's still on the Washington Redskins, and he probably will be for the foreseeable future. I see a total Josh Rosen scenario here uh, with just one extra year of time. Haskins goes in. He can't succeed because Washington's a trash franchise. They trade him for like a third round pick. He goes to another team where they don't really fully invest in him and he just bounces around. I really liked Dwayne Haskins in the draft process a lot, a lot, but his career is going to be ruined by going to the Washington Redskins and that's a shame. Yep, it certainly will be. I would put Drew way above Dwayne Haskins in this though. What do you guys think about Daniel Jones compared to Drew Locke? Daniel Jones performed a lot better than we thought he would. And so I oh, I owe him that. But I think there's a lot of Pat Shermer effect there, as we know that Pat Shermer can get the, you know, the most out of average quarterbacks, which is what I think Daniel Jones is. Um, and th- th- he's not going to have that anymore. Uh, you also saw him burst onto the scene. Then he hit a pretty big lull. And then he actually had some nice games at the very end of the season. But I think that he is, is due – to go backwards this season. And, and so I, I don't think he's going to end up in the same class as Drew at the end of the 2020 season. Yeah, I think Daniel, Daniel, Jones, Daniel Jones has trouble when he's trying to make too much happen. That was sort of what jumped out to me watching him at Duke is that when he was trying to carry everything on his own, he'd, uh, he, it, mistakes would become multiple mistakes, et cetera. And uh, I saw some of that last year when the Giants got in trouble. The other thing, Derek Klassen is the guy that uh, LDJ speaks of, and he really liked, he still likes Haskins. There's a little bit of confirmation bias. This is what he said, by the way, about Drew Locke heading in the draft. Quote, Locke would be drafted in the Derek Carr or Andy Dalton range at the top of the second round in a just world, but that is not the world we live in. He'll be a first-round pick potentially as high as the top 10. For that price, the risk is too high. Well, he should have just stopped after his first sentence. (laughs) (laughs) But he loved Dwayne Haskins. He said, taking Haskins for what he is, a brilliant yet flawed incomplete young passer and hoping to develop develop him into a more creative poised player is a team's best chance at getting an above-average quarterback in this draft, the 2019 draft. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say about Kyler Murray then? (laughs) That's what I'm looking up right now. I'm actually going through his articles because he had some – he had some articles on specific quarterbacks that you can find going through the football outsiders archives. Unfortunately, he didn't, I, I don't think he wrote a full article about, um, 
Kyler. About no, he did write one about Kyler. Let's see here. Um, he didn't write one. I haven't found one about uh, Daniel Jones yet. About mm. Kyler, his last paragraph is this. Murray will require delicate care and unique game planning. Murray will test the limits of any coach who takes him on and will stretch the imagination of what many believe a quarterback can or should be. There's precious little to compare Murray to, and that puts NFL decision makers into a scary position. The risk will be too steep for some teams, and rightfully so, but the right team will be glad to take a swing on an unprecedented prospect. So basically, it sounds like he's giving him the boom or bust evaluation. Yeah, Certainly fortunately. doesn't sound like the evaluation of the number one overall pick. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, fortunately, uh, many teams didn't have to worry about uh, deciding on Kyler Murray. Like the Broncos, because <laughs> they wouldn't have taken him, and that would have been a massive mistake. Yeah, LDJ goes on and says, almost forgot of people asked to rank their top five cornerbacks of all time. And of course, Deion Sanders is on there. But almost 85% of the responses included Charles Woodson and Champ Bailey. It's criminal the NFL left them off the NFL top 100. They seriously skipped over today's generation with that. And also, leaving Adrian Peterson off the list as well? Criminal. Stop Champ paying Bailey attention was the, to this stupid list. <laughs> yeah, Champ Bailey was the biggest miss on the NFL 100. And I agree, we shouldn't pay attention to too many lists, but that one, the top 100 players for the 100th season of the NFL, that one had some juice to it. It did. So it means like, something to being left off that, and I, I think Champ was the biggest omission on that list. They always suck is what I mean, and so it's just I can't bring myself to get mad about it anymore because – I don't think I've ever seen one of these lists that I liked. But Ryan, it's We Get Mad Wednesday, so oh. you need to get mad. <laughs> oh, my God. That stupid NFL Top 100 list has my fire burning. How could they leave off champion? We're talking about a first ballot Hall of Famer here, guys. I don't know, you know how they could be so far off what, they would be, what, what, what the rest of the Hall of Fame committee was saying. I mean – you know, when he got voted a first ballot Hall of Famer, we're talking about one of the greatest cornerbacks of all time. How could they mess that up? There we go. <laughs> I knew a list would get you fired up. <laughs> that was great. Sir James Radio, how do you know you made it when Zach calls you my guy? Hey. Yesterday's Aww. podcast, I can say I made it. Again, hashtag I'm a promo code Zach guy. <laughs> Too cool, Sir James Radio. Day 27 of the uh, – Jersey Challenge takes us to Jacksonville. He says, give me Visca. I say, give me Visca. What say you? I say I would have gone Calais Campbell, but can't go there now. Um, uh, since, since you're taking Visca, I'll go a different route, but that's by far the best jersey to get of Jacksonville. I'm going to take the jersey that's going to be relevant for one year, and that is Gardner Minshew. So it's a terrible jersey to buy because it's relevant for one year. But it does have, like, I think he's Minshew the third, right? Yeah, yeah. So that looks cool on the back of the jersey. Yeah, and I don't think he'll ever be like stupid for having it because he just he brought a swag to him. He'll have he'll be he's uh fifteen right yeah he'll be a cult figure there forever. Like he may be regarded in Jaguars history the way Tim Tebow is regarded in in Broncos history. I can see that for sure. He's also same number two. He fits the Jacksonville vibe so well. He does. <laughs> All he needs is a, is a pickup truck with wheels that are about four times as big as you need. 
and then he will have the Jacksonville ethos down pat. <laughs> yep. Drew Lockett chimes in. Hello again, gentlemen. I was reading an article this morning written by Jeff Legwald that referenced KJ Hamler and the problem he had with drops last year. What is your level of concern with this? You guys have watched more film of him than I have. Do you think this is something that can be fixed or is it going to be an issue long-term? Thanks for everything you do. Hope you and your families are staying healthy and happy. Thank you, Drew Locka. You, you can't teach speed, and that's what he has. And also, it's, it's, it can be very difficult to teach releases and route running, and he has that as well. One thing you can teach is how to keep your eye on the ball. That's his only problem. He wants to score a touchdown every time he touches the ball. So when the ball's coming in, he starts looking, where's my first move? What do I got to do? How am I going to get behind this defense and use my speed? He's just getting a little ahead of himself. That's what I saw. I didn't see any issues with his actual hands. I saw his eyes trying to score touchdowns before he had the ball. Took yeah, the words but, out of my mouth. But at the same time, that's a tough instinct to, to break out of. And there's a reason why guys who've had drop issues in college typically have some degree of, of drop issues continuing when they get into the NFL. The, the big thing for him is that he's going to have that boom potential every time he's targeted. And I think you're just going to have to live with some drops every now and again. Look, you know, Wes Welker, great slot receiver. He dropped a lot of passes. Drops are, drops are going to happen for some guys, but if they're doing much more to compensate for that, you accept that as part of the equation. I think that's how it's going to work for him. Also, also, the truth is, and you mentioned Wes Welker, he's a perfect comp here. Smaller guys drop the ball more because they're a little more scared of getting hit. It's, you know, it, and, and they, they also don't ha usually don't have big hands. Totally. But, you know, you're, you're K.J. Hamler. You can't afford to just hang on and just get crushed. Sometimes you have to make business decisions. People aren't going to like it when it happens. They'll love it when you're on the field for 16 games. I think it was my last snap in high school football. I begged to be a, a punt returner for one snap. And I'm glad it was only one snap because I got back there. It was a perfect punt. And, I mean, it was perfect. I touch it and boom. I'm drilled. Ball goes flying. I go flying. And uh, let's just say if it wasn't my last snap of high school football, it uh, would have been the last time I returned a punt. So was this in the last game in the fourth quarter type of thing? Yep, exactly. Yeah, we had oh, the game wrapped up. Wow. <laughs> That's rough. All right, from the other Ryan, my boys. Another hump day is here on this day 70 or whatever number we're out of quarantine. With all apologies to Mike Dicka, who once said, I don't believe in living in the past. Living in the past is for cowards. If you live in the past, you die in the past. I want to take us back to January 2015 for a moment. First, I provide some context. Yesterday, NFL owners voted to approve a resolution that would prevent teams from blocking assistant coaches from interviewing for coordinator positions. If this rule had been in place in 2015, I surmise that the Broncos would have hired Vance Joseph and not Wade Phillips to be their defensive coordinator as the Cincinnati Bengals would not have been able to prohibit Joseph from becoming a coordinator. Do you guys think that the historic Denver defense from 2015 would have been as good under Joseph's tutelage as they were under Phillips? Do the Broncos still win Super Bowl 50 with Joseph in charge of the team's defensive unit? Would talent and leadership from the likes of DeMarcus Ware transcend coaching deficiencies? I have my doubts based on Joseph's past performances as a defensive coordinator and a head coach. But Joseph has also never coached a group as talented as that 2015 group of defenders. DNV Army salute. This is actually pretty easy. Would they have been as good under Vance Joseph's tutelage? No. no. 
Yeah. They would have been good but not great like they were with Jack Del Rio the previous year. And exactly. that means – and do the Broncos win Super Bowl 50? No, because I think that means the difference between 12 wins, which they got, and 9 or 10, which would have put them behind the Chiefs in the division. They maybe sneak in, but they would have been right there uh, battling for a wild card spot, and I don't think they win three road games in a row to get to the Super Bowl. So, no, they don't. It was perfect timing to get that year one Wade bump. Because yep. as we know, Wade's defenses are always best in year one for whatever odd reason. It's actually kind of against what, what you see in pretty much almost every other case. But they always get that bump. They got it. They were dominant. They had Vance Joseph. I think you're right. They would have maintained. Um, a lot of people try, you know, want to make Vance Joseph to be out, uh, as bad of a coordinator as he is a coach. It's not true. Um, he, he, I think he understands defense pretty well and would have put a decent defense out there. But it wouldn't have been – you know, in the conversation for some of the best defenses we've seen. To me, it's the swag that that Wade Phillips brought. And he, oddly enough, he gets along with those players in there. And Vance Joseph didn't get uh, along as well with some of those defensive players. How good would Aqib Tlaib have been if he wasn't buddy-buddy with with Wade Phillips and instead button heads with Vance Joseph? So, yeah, I I think that that, the the off-the-field part is almost just as important, too. Totally. DTL. Hey, y'all, question for you. If you had one worry about Drew going into 2020, what would it be? Mine would have to be his arm strength, but not a lack of it. Sometimes he just puts too much on the ball and the receivers can't catch it, as we've seen in a few times against, in his debut against the Chargers. Then we see him slow down during the Texans game, and look what happened. But then right after, as the Chief, he had some rough times and went back to slinging it. I couldn't tell you how many drops I uh, saw, hoping – that he can get some time with the receiver so that we can use him to his fullest. You know, after saying all this, I'm not sure if it was a knock on him or the receivers last year, but yeah, take care. Anyway, (laughs) have a great day. So to me, one big thing was they went from Brandon Allen to Drew Locke and Drew Locke just throws a much tighter, stronger, faster ball. Uh, You know, in that first week against the chargers, I think it's just an adjustment process uh, for them. So, I don't know. I think that's not the big concern. The biggest concern for me, hmm, I don't know, like footwork maybe. I think that needs to improve, but he's so good at throwing off platform that maybe it doesn't. I think the the concern for me would probably be uh, if the offensive line can't hold up, and that's not even really a Drew thing. It's just, you know, no one can have success when they're under that much pressure. I think it it is the footwork because what happens, he can make those throws off balance at times because he does have enough arm talent, but his overall accuracy does decline when he doesn't get set. Now, sometimes when you're under duress, you're going to have to make that off balance throw and he's going to pull off some spectacular things, but it's the ability to make sure that you can keep your base, keep your footwork at proper when, and get set even when you're under some pressure in the pocket and escaping the pocket, that's, that's the key for him. If he does that and he doesn't revert to some of the bad habits he had at Mizzou, especially through his junior season, then he should be fine. But if he goes back to some of those traits, it's going to be a concern and it's going to put a hitch in his development. Yeah. So, as you were talking there, I remember, you know, the, the biggest thing for Drew is not throwing off platform when he doesn't need to. Right. And so really get in the habit. Jay Cutler did it a lot. 
of just saying like I can throw it from wherever I want I don't have to worry about my footwork or how many steps I take on my drop I'm just going to get to a place where there's no one around and just rip it and that works but it also does you know take velocity off the ball it's easier to jump in front of for defenders so Drew just needs to make sure that he doesn't use that off-platform stuff when he doesn't need to. Just because you can sling it doesn't mean you should always sling it, even though he's made some great plays that way. Some of the stuff you got away with at Mizzou, you're not going to get away with in the NFL. Yep, yep. Orange and blue through and through. I have to disagree with the general assessment on the Melvin Gordon pickup in the media. I love Phil. Go Buffs! But he is certainly not nearly as productive at getting into the end zone as Melvin. I'm all for yards per carry, but scoring is what it's all about. I have to give credit for bringing weapons that have a nose for the end zone. That is one distinguishing characteristic I see this offseason on the skill position additions, draft, and free agency. They are all finishers and know how to score. I don't mind paying for points. This will make all the difference. Thoughts? Thanks for the podcast and bringing great coverage on the Broncos. See, you guys got you guys talked about Melvin Gordon yesterday. You got us, you know packaged in with the rest of the media uh no i i mean i'm with you orange and blue through and through like i I, you know that's my melvin gordon catchphrase no one's gonna care how much he's making when he's dancing in the end zone i yeah yeah i i have nothing against the melvin gordon pickup i just wish it was left tackle that they addressed that's fair that's horse from horse clock lock a Bronco Mount Rushmore would be too easy. So how about your personal Rushmore per position? I know every position might take too long, so maybe just hit the glamour positions. I just cut and pasted this into the podcast ideas file that I keep on my desktop while we're doing this, this show every day because this is something that I think could fill a very, an otherwise quiet day. Totally. Yeah, I like that one. We will file that away. Yes. So the last one here comes in from World of Suck. He says, in the NFL draft and in fantasy drafts, we talk a lot lot about boom or bust prospects or players. As a complete team, is there a more boom or bust team in the NFL than the Broncos this year? We have injury concerns that keep positions like corner and tackle. We have an extremely young offense with a relatively unproven quarterback. If things go off the rails, we don't have another Drew Locke waiting in the wings to save the season with a 4-1 and stretch at the end. But if everything clicks and the ball bounces our way a couple times, we could be looking at a deep playoff run. I think you're right, and I think that's why you're seeing this this wide-ranging national perspective on the Broncos. Yeah, I also think another boomer bust team could be the New England Patriots because, in my opinion, they have an even more unproven commodity at quarterback. If he's the guy that you know Bill Belichick believes is the next Tom Brady, this next un- great unproven quarterback – well, then maybe if he turns out to be Tom Brady or, you know, a good quarterback, then they will be a really good team. Well, what if he is really just the Trevor Lawrence uh, sit, sit in place for, and the Patriots get a couple of injuries on their defense. They're not going to be a very good team at all. I would go even a step further than that. I would say 75% of the AFC East is boomer bust. Everyone but Buffalo. I think Buffalo's floor is probably eight and eight. So if they're bad, they're not a bust. They're not bad. But you've got the Patriots, like you've mentioned with Jarrett Stidham. The Dolphins, if they put Tua in there and he's healthy and he tears it up, like they could do anything. And the Jets, they're still high on Sam Darnold. I know he's kind of fallen out of kind of the national spotlight, national favor. 
but they were a much better team with Darnold on the field last year than without him. And if he doesn't have mono for those three games, they're right there on the fringe of the playoff conversation in that eight and eight, nine and seven range. Yeah. And they expect that Darnold will do better this year. They're a little bit of a sleeper right now, I think. And that's why that Thursday night game, the Broncos play there uh, in week four is so fascinating. For sure. I want to give a shout out to Denver Rubber Company. They've been around since 1972, and they're the best at what they do. They're family owned and operated, diehard Denver sports fans. They're known for cutting and supplying rubber, snow plow blades, but they also provide custom rubber for foam gaskets, hose assemblies, and metal parts. With their industry knowledge and their precise manufacturing capabilities, DRC is committed to supporting your needs, especially during these uncertain times. So make sure that you check out DRC for any rubber needs that you may have. But I think that's going to wrap it up for us on today's DNVR Broncos podcast. We thank you all for tuning in and for leaving us all those nice iTunes reviews. We appreciate everyone who participates in this podcast, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.